This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. My friends and family will tell you that I am not great at waiting at all, ever, and I definitely struggled when my kids were little and we had to wait uh, at the doctor's office sometimes up to like an hour or more to be seen and um, we used to do all sorts of things to entertain ourselves. But my guest today, Patty Post, who is the CEO of Checkable Medical, founded her business because she was sick and tired of waiting to be seen with her kids who had strep when she already knew that they had strep and would have been easier if she could have just been diagnosed at home and picked up the prescription. So her company not only is in the process of um, creating a diagnostic for strep, but she has a number of other diagnostic tools specifically for women and combining it with telemedicine so that you can save time and not wait at the doctor's office. Hey, Patty, welcome to Women Who Build Empires. We were just talking about time management and reconnecting with friends. And I want to just continue that conversation Mm -hmm. because as women entrepreneurs, the to-do list is never, ever short. And Mm -hmm. how do we choose what we're doing? How do we stay in integrity to ourselves? And also, and separately, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to already connect with you a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed our conversations. And just to kind of bring everybody up to speed of where we were chatting already, we were talking about being intentional with our relationships and time and, and really also acknowledging the things that we get right. Um, you said you were you know, already meeting your trainer at seven o'clock this morning, which God bless you because I was like barely on coffee <laughs> at quarter of seven. There was no body moving. <laughs> yeah, I had already, already gotten my workout done too. Wow, that's like very ambitious. So how do you manage everything? Like what is, do you have a, set schedule? How do you, how do you manage time and be able to feel good at the end of the day or what's the secret? Well, for me, I'm, am a morning person. So from, it's just, is naturally I like to wake up early and I always have, and I go to bed really early. So when you're holding your cup of coffee at 645, you probably stay up a lot later than I do in your body. We all need about the same amount of sleep. So there's nothing like secret of me waking up early. It's just, I go to bed early, but I do make, I do make my time really intentional, my time for me. And I've been probably selfish about it over the years, just even right after I had my son, you know, when I was a wee 23 year old, 
I got back, I gained a hundred pounds and I was like, okay, I got to get this weight off. And I wanted to get back to me. And that's really when it started. Like, okay, I got to get to the gym, got to take my time to make myself feel good. And then I can show up for the rest of the world. And so my husband's been very good and supportive of that. Even when we didn't have money, I have a gym membership and I take, I actually use it too, because I think when you're strapped for cash, then you're like, okay, I'm going to get every last bit out of this. So I think those set me up for success in that area. I wouldn't say I'm the, have the best physique on, on the planet, but I feel good about myself and that's all I need. And I think it's the de-stressing that happens when I work out that really helps me Mm -hmm. be a different person as well as like just being intentional about just time with my family. Mm -hmm. I can do better at that. Like I, even as I say that, I'm like, oh, you know, summer, we've been in summer now for four weeks where I'm in Fargo, North Dakota. So the kids have been out of school and now the schedule is just really flowy. And I don't have that like, okay, let's sit down and let's read for a half an hour together. And I miss that. And Mm -hmm. I don't have like that connection time or driving kids like to school. And I feel like I've been good about that over the years. And at this exact moment, I'm like, oh, I could actually do better at that (laughs) with my family. Yeah. Yeah. There was something because my kids are grown and out of the house and I was actually contemplating this the other day, like I almost miss that anchoring schedule because mm-hmm. I got so much, I'm going to say more done. Cause I was like, all right, I've got X amount of hours between yes. leave to when they come back to make a bunch of magic. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things I did when they were young, well, even in high school, once they got home, we would have connection time for 15 minutes just to talk about how school was. I used to ask them kind of open-ended questions and, um, and then we would go and do our separate things. Mm -hmm. I'd go back to work and they'd go do homework or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, it really helped ground all of us and give us that, as I said, that kind of anchoring piece. And yeah, the, the summer always threw me off. I know. Like where's the year round school? Yeah. And I would just master the summer routine for like two weeks before school. Yes, (laughs) me too. That's I'm like, okay, when are we going to find our groove? Because we've got some trips and things planned that I don't think, I think we'll be about the same pace. August 15th, we'll be like, great, we can get this. And then school starts the 28th. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Share with us, let's talk about your business. And one of the things that excited me the most when we were first introduced is that I've had the opportunity to meet a number of women over the last year in particular who are taking on healthcare differently and solving problems similar to you because you had this experience of spending an enormous amount of time waiting for doctors in doctor's office for tests, et cetera, with your kids, which mm-hmm. is a pain. Mm-hmm. And um, tell, just share everybody a little bit about your journey. Sure. Well, I, I knew that healthcare was a very reactive system rather than a proactive system, just by working in healthcare. And I worked as a medical device rep, and then I worked as a consultant in how to get a medical device from a concept through to commercialization. And I 
just was seeing how inefficient it was and then being a user of healthcare, just seeing, gosh, how can this, this isn't even that great of care and it's very inefficient and it's expensive. And I remember when my son, he had, I don't know if your kids ever had warts like on their hands. Mm-hmm. And when you go in to get a wart treated, that is a surgical procedure. That's what they say, that it's a surgical procedure. And so the cost of it is like $450 to get a wart removed. And I, again, going back to the time we didn't have a lot of money, I was, my employer was on a high deductible plan very early where now it's more of the norm, but that's what we were on. And I remember getting this bill and being like, I was literally in the office for less than a minute. Like we walked in, they like, we sat in the waiting room for 45 minutes, but we were in the office for a minute. They froze it off. And then it was like, okay, see ya. And it was $450. And I thought, okay, this is, this is horrible. And I had to go on a payment plan because I didn't have the money for that. And then as my kids got a little bit older, then they started getting strep throat and strep throat is something that is highly contagious. So One would get it and then the other would get it. And then the other, I have three kids and a few times I got it too. And I remember uh, one summer, uh, it was in July and the one got it. I'm like, how did we get strep? Like, I thought you only got it during the school year, but you pick it up. It's a seasonal, it's not seasonal, it's year round. And sure enough, all three got it. And my husband had this huge project for work. And I knew I was going to drive up to the cabin to see my parents. And I started to get a burning pain in my throat and my stomach started to hurt. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm sure it's fine. Allergies. And I get up to the lake and I end up getting a fever. And so then I, um, I had to go to urgent care that next morning in rural healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that whole process ended up taking four hours. I sat there with my daughter and my two boys, because my mom and dad, I didn't want to get them sick. And that scenario happened four times, at least, where myself and the kids got sick. And it was when I was at a CVS Minute Clinic that with my daughter, who's the youngest, and the nurse practitioner was taking the sample, the throat sample, Mm -hmm. and it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, wait a second, why isn't this strep test available at home? So all of these times, all of these stories could have just been erased if I could have had a test at home that was like a pregnancy test. And I knew enough because I was in industry that it was the same technology as a pregnancy test. It's in fact, the same inventor who invented the pregnancy test invented the strep test, also does COVID tests. and, And we're actually working with that manufacturer. I couldn't stop. So every entrepreneur you know, you can't stop thinking about the idea. (laughs) Like I told everyone like, Hey, have you had strep? What do you think about at-home strep tests? Like everywhere I would go, I would just talk to people about it. And I put a little business plan together and I actually pitched it, this idea of an at-home strep test. Mm -hmm. I put the clinical, everything together. And I pitched it to my boss because I was working for a consulting firm at the time where we were working with startups as well as medical device companies. And he said, never going to happen. Moms will never change their behavior from going into the doctor to doing it at home. And I'm like, 
hello, I'm a mom. Like I'm telling you that I've been what? <laughs> like moms don't love to go to the doctor. No, the last thing I want to do is if I have a sick kid, bring my kid to the doctor so that he could contaminate everybody else. Or if we're going in for like a well thing or just some random whatever, yes. same thing. Right. It's, and, it's like, sitting there is boring. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> other things yeah. to do. Bottom line, it is boring. And it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a, a career-driven mom and everything in between. No mom likes to go to the doctor. And if she knows, a lot of time with, with strep, you know that they have it. And so I tried to use, so he said, told me no, but of course I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was nine months of me working on it, like my moonlighting this strep. At that time, I think I called it strep RX. I did call it strep RX. And uh, went met with investors, said, would you pay for this? Is this even viable? And sure enough, it was. And um, then saved up enough cash so we could pursue it and I could quit my job. And that was in 2019. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Which is for me, it's just so exciting. So where can moms get your tests? Uh, so they can't get the strep test yet. That's the data that I was telling you about that was making my eyes cross this morning. Right. <laughs> we still have to submit that data to the agency. But we do have four tests that when this comes out, uh, we have checkable.com is our website. Mm -hmm. And then we do have four diagnostics or my company is built for moms and all of our content, everything that we do is going to help her in her life to make her life better. And then her family. So we have a breast milk strip that measures alcohol, another that measures a nutritional value test for zinc, calcium, and protein. And then two tests in women's health. One is a rapid UTI. And then the other is a vaginal pH. And we also have a telemedicine platform. So with a vaginal pH, we are going to prescribe through a compounding pharmacy, um, a hyaluronic acid and then a boric acid suppository, and then a probiotic um, that can either be inserted vaginally as a um, suppository or orally that is for bacterial vaginitis or um, yeast infections. Wow. All right. So that is so cool. Thank you. Okay. So how, like, how does everything work? Just how do people find you? How is how is your growth? What's next? What are the big plans? What are the challenges? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, big plans is I, I really, I like to say we're solving the first mile problem of healthcare. Right. Um, I came up with that when, do you remember when birds and Lyme scooters came out? I mean, Philly really launched those scooters. And what they were doing was when a bus stop left you off at the stop and you still had six blocks to walk, you just get on a line and you could get there in two minutes, right? Right, right. So that was called the the last mile of transportation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying we're solving the first mile of healthcare. And in that it's diagnostics, it's education. It's supplements, it's telemedicine, anything that you can do at home for to feel better or to empower yourself to make clinical evidence-based decisions from home. That's what we're doing at Checkable. Um, so right now we're just launching digitally. Mm -hmm. uh, 
we're working on that plan of, okay, where, where do we want to be? Do we want, um, because as a small company, the challenge is managing your cash and doing things efficiently. So, and then raising cash too. I mean, through research, it's really hard to go out to a venture capitalist and say, Hey, I've got this idea. I just need to run it through research and then it will be approved. Then we can sell it. They don't really love to fund those kinds of projects. So uh, that has been a challenge. Mm -hmm. And now the challenge is, okay, how are we going to launch where moms are and we're going to get adoption quickly and we'll be able to then iterate new products and continue to um, do R&D. Moms groups. Yes, moms groups. Totally. Yeah. We just need a whole bunch of ambassadors too that are engaging and and you know creating awareness. Awareness is is tough. It's a busy marketplace right now. It is. It is. But I mean, this is such a brilliant idea, and I'm Thank all you. for the time saving. Thank and you. I there is nothing that irritates me more than having to wait in general when I'm mm-hmm. like. And there's a give and take, right? But the like the 45 minute, like I waited for a doctor with a UTI for an hour and a half because oh she my. had an emergency. And I'm like, couldn't mm-hmm. your team have called me and said, hey, we're backed up? Mm-hmm. Like I have other things to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually a software that I think that we could, I have. So you probably have this too, like your book of ideas, but you have to like put it to the side. And so I give myself an hour to go through an idea and I write it down and then I just put it aside. And that's one of my ideas, which I think it could probably be solved with SMS if they had better technology. But if they had just a platform that they could just write in there, like, hey, your appointment has changed, like come in at three instead. And then even a follow up. Yeah. Yeah, Like, how are you feeling? I know some are and it's a lot of patient data that's in there, that privacy yeah. stuff that you can't do it, but they're so inefficient that, and even if you're running late, I mean, to, to let the practice know, you know, what's a very convenient way of doing that. There's a software that could be built that would help them with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're right because um, I just started seeing physical therapist and hmm. he sent me a little text this morning. Yeah. How are you feeling after we, you know, our treatment last night? And I was like, oh, look at that. Like how, like what if, if regular doctors did that? Cause you could automate all of that. Yeah. And yeah. then you're having a whole different conversation and um, you have information that you're not going to remember from three weeks. Right. I completely agree. Physical therapy. That's, I think uh, when I was thinking back on things, mm-hmm of our healthcare system is very reactive. I think we've gotten a lot better and orthopedists have gotten a lot better with the utilization of physical therapists. When I was working in the OR, I just vividly remember an 87-year-old woman having a neck fusion. And I mean, anytime you go through surgery, it's trauma on your body. Right. But to see a lot of trauma. Yeah. And, but to see this 87 year old woman that is laying on the table, I just was thinking, this is so unnecessary. Why are you doing this to her? And, 
and healthcare is a business, unfortunately. And so there's money to be made every time that a procedure is done. But I'm it is good. I think we are seeing progress in areas like physical therapy. I think we're seeing a lot more holistic mm-hmm. um, forms of medicine that are mainstream. Unfortunately, they don't get coverage by the insurance companies, but you know, we have to cash pay it. And if we feel better, I think we're willing to pay for it. It works. It works. I agree. Yeah. It's like acupressure, acupuncture, oh, yeah. massage I mean, I, therapy. I'm a big believer in body work, mm-hmm. moving your body, like exercising, even if it's just walking and, and doing all of those preventative things mm-hmm. that I don't have to sit in the doctor's office mm-hmm. and wait forever. Mm-hmm. And frequently, well, I can like, tell you look great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and frequently too, there's like, well, we don't have to answer. So mm-hmm. Oh, is there anything worse than going to the doctor and then you've ten- spent all that time and they're like, well, there's nothing we can do for you. That's mainly why I have the test. Like I, I talk about all these times that we were positive, but all of the times that we weren't positive and I brought the kids in mm-hmm. for no reason and had to pay for those visits. It's like, how many times does that happen? I right. even think with like a pap smear. They're, they're changing that now where you only need a pap smear once every three years instead of every year. And I look at it like there is a device out there that we could do an at-home pap because 25% of women are unwilling to go in and get a pap smear. It's just so beyond uncomfortable for them. So mm-hmm. we have 25% of females that are unwilling to go in and check if they have cancer cells. And- you could do that at home. I think that women, we can do so many things. Like think of how long ago women were birthing babies at home, right? I mean, right. women still are. Yeah. And I, I think we could scrape our cervix with swab. It's not, it's not hard. And it's not even a scrape. It's like a quick sample collection, send it in right. and then see if you have any of the tissue that should be should be looked on. And then you're like, okay, then I'll go in. Think of how much right. less expensive that would be, how you would have to avoid that. You know, it's traumatic for some women. It is it's unpleasant for everyone. Right. It's generally unpleasant. And, <laughs> yes. and again, you could be doing something else. And particularly since, I mean, I don't know what the percentage of negative tests are, like how many women uh, every year that you can come back and there is a problem, but it like that at least gives you information. So then you can go in if you need to, mm-hmm. or if you mm-hmm. have, there's a conversation, but even with the telemedicine, then like, that's kind of the next layer I would think as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you can have your, your consultation done virtually. They're even right now in some States, you like this happened actually to my husband. He had um, an MRI for his knee. He thought he blew out his knee. And the electronic medical record sent him a notification. Hey, we have an update on your record. And so he went to it and then it was all a bunch of jargon. He's like, I don't know what this means. And he called our friend who is an orthopedic surgeon. He said, well, what is this? And he said, oh, actually you blew out your ACL and your meniscus is torn. And he was diagnosed before the doctor could even talk to him about it. And I talked to, I ran into this woman, we were in Costa Rica actually on a hike. And this woman is a 
radiologist and she works with women. So she has a lot of mammograms that go to the woman first and they say, it says that it's cancerous before the doctor even knows. So she has her patients calling her crying saying, I got my medical record and I have cancer. What is this? And she hasn't even had a chance to look at any of the, you know, the imaging. Right. Right. There's so many areas for us. Yeah. Significantly. What have been some of the biggest challenges in getting all of this started and being a female founder? Um, You know, raising money has just always been really hard. I'm just not a, I don't have a finance background and I don't speak like a, a Stanford MBA male who has a finance worked his, at a venture capital group or a hedge fund. I, I just, I speak differently. And just as we are all used to the people that we interact with the most. So mm-hmm. when we see that the venture capitalists are mainly male and presenting to them, they're used to hearing from other males because mm-hmm. they socialize with males, they're pitching from males. So to have a female come pitch, of course, the first thing that they relate to, to me, is to their wife. And they don't look at their wife as like this, you know, badass CEO. They look at their wife as like, oh, you know, she managed my family and I love her and kids. And there's nothing against that, but it does make it challenging when I say, I can do this. I have three kids, have a husband, I understand, but- I can go after this and I present differently. You know, I I talk about numbers differently. And so a lot of that, and I'm still in this process of how do I speak so it resonates with them? Because Mm -hmm. I have to change my approach to my audience as well. And I can't expect that everyone is accustomed to how I present. And if I want to get you know, the right reaction, then I'm going to have to have the right tone. I mean, I have read that one of the obstacles that women face is that a lot of funding is from white men Mm -hmm. and they don't resonate with our ideas. Like they don't have Mm -hmm. that experience where if you sat in a group of women, they, everybody would be like, yes, of course. Right. Right. Like that totally. We've experienced that. So there's Mm -hmm. that relation Uh, And a lot of incredible projects haven't gotten funding because of that disconnect. Mm -hmm. Do you have an idea of how we can get more women into a place where they're part of the funders, like where they're they're more VC uh, women and angel investors, et cetera? Yeah. I just read um, this morning of a woman that I met in February, just randomly at a business dinner. Uh, We both were invited, didn't know each other before then. She exited two companies. And instead of riding off into the sunset, she's like, okay, I'm going to make use of this and I'm going to help women by deploying capital into their companies. And that's what we need more of. We need more women. I mean, I think it's the same with politics. You need more women in politics, you need more women in venture capital because they're going to care about women's issues and they're going to support women more. 
And like for me, my goal is that's I want to be a VC. I want to be an angel investor. I want to be able to support either those in my same generation or the next generation through wealth. So I think to do that, we just need more women that have wealth that's you know able to be deployed mm-hmm. through women. What would you say to any woman, but for the sake of our audience, women that are listening, who have an idea and haven't quite taken action on it yet, but in the same space that you were like that, just it's there and it won't leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Really sit with it and really utilize the freelancers that are out there. We have such an amazing gig economy right now. I mean, you can go on Upwork and you can find the best and the brightest and you can't do it all yourself. So save some money, hire some people that are going to help you flush out your idea, make it so it's a story and get out there. And whether that's joining accelerators or even within your university, um, I did a couple of projects very early on at one at Augsburg University in Minneapolis and another at University of Minnesota where they just were able to, in MBA programs, just able to take my idea and run it through as a business project. And that gave me an incredible amount of information. Uh, And I got to work with the professors who had industry experience. And so I would say leverage as many free resources as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people are scared to ask um, sometimes. And you got to get out of the house. You got to get out there. You got to talk to people. You got to make use of all of those um, opportunities that are really right in front of us. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm going to add, ask, particularly like the last couple of months, but I mean, the last decade that I've been doing this, when I ask for help, when I ask for support, when I ask, can we have, you know, try to collaborate, really cool things come out of that. And I have some partnerships working right now that if I hadn't been like, hmm, how can we play with this? Yeah. Right. And make it work yeah. for both of us. People want to support women. Mm-hmm. I do, agree. We do have to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, we have to not be afraid to get the answer of no. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing. Oh, what if they say no? So then you don't ask, but then when you ask and someone does tell you, no, don't let that stop you. It should, should just like fuel your fire. Like keep going. Doesn't mean that you're wrong. Right. Just wasn't the right person. I mean, your boss could have said yes, and you might have been in a completely different place, but mm-hmm. he said no, so that really fueled you. Exactly. And yeah, um, I almost opened a restaurant in 2009, and I pitched like five or six banks before I got a, well, let's talk and see if we can work it out. Mm-hmm. Not even a full-fledged yes. Yeah. Um, and I ended up not doing it for other reasons, but I remember being really frustrated because the financing wasn't coming together. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's going to work. I'm going to make it work. Something's going to happen. And then the next mm-hmm. couple of, like, couple of days after that, the one of the banks that I had talked to was like, let's, let's see what we can do. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And so that was your sixth, I think. Yeah. When I tried to get into medical devices, I was working at UPS and I knew I wanted to be in medical device sales and I had to get 
62 interviews to get an actual job offer. Yeah. And I mean, it took a year and a half, but I just kept going to every opportunity and every time they said no, or I had two times where I was the, um, one of the last two candidates. And so they gave, it was like getting to the altar and then they say no (laughs) two different times. And there are extensive interviews. Like you fly out to interview, you go ride along with a rep. Yeah. And I just felt it inside of me a lot like this strep, like this is what I was meant to do. And I just haven't interviewed with the right person yet. Right. Right. So you've really listened to your, like your intuition or that voice and allowed it to guide you. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know that it was intuition before. I just had this yesterday, actually. I was talking about our data and I just had this stirring inside of me that for days and it was like, I couldn't get shake it, even though I was trying to like write it out, talking it out and it still stuck with me. And sure enough, we had a meeting yesterday afternoon and some things sort of opened up and it was that gut feeling that was just stuck with me that there's got to be something there. I think that we have a, you know, an instinct that men don't, that make us special in that way. You know, like if your kid's something going on with them, you're like, I know it. Oh yeah. That like mommy radar. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. it's our uteruses. <laughs> <laughs> the driving force of all, of all reason. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, do you have a practice or anything you do that allows you to really hone in on that intuition um, that you're conscious about, or, um, is it, you just know? Uh, well, I've always been very, um, spiritual. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. And so I read the Bible and, you know, I was, I've deepened in my faith, just growing that relationship and, and not just thinking that it's a voice in my head, but I'm actually talking with God. And I think that helps even when I'm getting all of the no's that, like, no, you are special. You have this feeling for a reason. Keep going. Mm-hmm. I think if I didn't have that faith that I wouldn't be so in tune with that, it works. It That's just wholly mine. And I think that's what gives me that like drive as well as sort of, okay. Sometimes I just feel really at peace. Like, no, this isn't going to work, but I'm totally at peace. Like I know something else is going to happen. That's going to be good. Yeah. I've had those. And it's always weird because it's like, you know, you're shifting and you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And you just have to trust that if you hold on to the thing that's not working, it's not going to get any better and you have to go in this new right. direction. Right. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. For me, it's a little weird, but it does feel good once you get into the like, oh, now I know I'm like really in that right spot. Mm-hmm. Curious too, how from, from everybody who's listening, how can we help you um, expand checkable and start being able to, to get these tests to market and in the hands of the women who can use them and need them? That's such a great question. So checkable health is our um, Instagram. And then if you're on LinkedIn, TikTok, any social platform, if you just search checkable um, and, and be a part of what we're doing that, would be awesome. That's like 
just a way to keep up with us. And then checkable.com, when we launch these products, uh, having a UTI test at home, having a vaginal pH test at home and being a customer uh, and then giving a five-star review is my like ultimate, if you want to just really make a female founder happy, that would just be the ultimate awesomeness. Cool. Well, I think we can all do that because I want to help you be able to grow and expand this. Um, as I said, because I, I just see such the value in it. And where can everybody connect with you? So I'm Patty Post CEO on Instagram and on TikTok. And then Patty Post on LinkedIn. So I check all my messages and I'll get back to you on a direct message. And I always love to connect. Wonderful. Patty, thank you so much for being on. I'm really excited about the future. Thank you. It was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.